six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. We have commit and we have liftoff at two thirteen. Clear the tower. Prepare yourself for a Good morning, everybody. It is Conley here with the Science Nights in the Morning. We have a full crew today, and uh, it is a very good show. Uh, I assure you, because we're going to have a lot of fun talking about cactus and succulents, we have Dr. Anurban Bhattacharji, Dr. Thomas Schiller, all the way from Australia, we have Dr. Sean Dram, and a very special guest, Tanya Hernandez. Dr. Tanya Hernandez, yes. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> ah, very, very great. Very great. So uh, we're going to be talking. Okay, now we are in the high desert right now. Uh, there are, well, I, I would say there's an abundance of succulents and there's an abundance of uh, beautiful cacti, uh, beautiful flora and fauna, right? Flora and fauna. Um, flora and fauna. Flora and fauna. Flora and fauna. We're talking about the flora, though. Yeah. We well, we're, we're going to be talking about the flora, but you know what? Hey, some some people and animals like to eat the cactus, so they're, they're, we might get into that. But uh, I'm looking forward to this uh, conversation that we're going to have with you, uh, Dr. Tanya Hernandez, and um, let's go ahead and get right on into it. We have uh, the whole crew here. Uh, let, let's go ahead and uh, talk to us about what you do exactly in science okay uh, <laughs> okay what i do exactly uh, it's uh, not a very easy question <laughs> i um i could define myself as a botanist uh, uh, but i study more the evolution of plants i like particularly cacti and other succulents like agave uh, i've been studying cacti for a long time so i uh, I could define myself as a cacti expert, as an expert in cacti evolution, let's say. Really? Okay. <laughs> well, I have a question yes. for you. So when, when you were very young, what got you in to being so intrigued and interested in uh, cacti? Well, I, I am Mexican. I live, I was born and raised in Mexico City. And if you have ever been to central Mexico and you happen to travel a little bit around the area, you're going to see a huge diversity of cacti. You can see many different forms, many different uh, types of cacti living all over. In central Mexico, we eat cacti a lot. It's very common uh, to see cacti all over being used uh, by people, like for for medicinal uses, and people use them like uh, in their houses, like as fences. And so they are uh, part of our cu culture. So mm. uh, very early, I got interested in. I was the, I didn't start right away with cacti. I was interested in plants in general. 
But uh, later on my career was, uh, it happened that I got more interested in, in cacti and succulents. Mm. Yeah. So uh, uh, I was going to ask you, so did you get interested uh, in your, uh, this uh, cactus and succulents in um, your, during your uh, PhD? By the way, where did you get your PhD from? From uh, the National University of Mexico. Oh, and and right now you're based in Arizona, right? Right now I'm based in Arizona, yeah. yes, uh, yes. Uh, because I came into this thing later and I don't, so I was just going to like go, uh, ask you like, wh- wh- where are you, ba- are you based like in the University of Arizona or Arizona State or something like that? Or uh-huh. <laughs> That's a good question. No, so I, well, I, I studied in Mexico City in the National University of Mexico. Then I did my postdoc in the University of Arizona. And now I am working in the Desert Botanical Garden. Mm. This is a, a botanical, this is, I would say, the most important botanical garden uh, specialized in desert plants, uh, perhaps in the world. And uh, it is in Phoenix. It is beautiful. If you ever have the opportunity to come, please visit. And I am, uh, I am working in the research department of the garden, mm. but we are associated to the Arizona State University. Ah. Okay. Oh, very nice. Very nice. So, so well, congratulations. That sounds like a really cool gig. Yeah. Um, a good, great job <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. you, especially with your background. I just well, want to really quickly um, mention that, you know, um, for our listeners, uh, the reason why um, I really wanted to get you on the show, um, you know, I don't want to give the listeners the impression that, you know, uh, you're doing some really cutting edge stuff. You're doing some amazing stuff, uh, uh, discovering and uncovering the evolutionary history of, um, of cacti and succulents and some other plants in Mexico. And so um, could you tell us a little bit about the process that you go through to do these kind of studies? One of the papers that I read um, that you that you published is all about the, uh, the the evolutionary history of the cacti, and you 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 had something like four hundred species in your analysis, um, yeah. and and you did all this great all this great uh, you know uh, you know incredible analyses to try to figure out and untangle the history, how old cacti are, when the big branches on the family tree of cacti developed, so. Could you walk us through a little bit about um, that study in particular and how, how you do your work? Well, for that study, yes. Okay, so my, my, uh, that happened a long time ago. <laughs> and my advisor back then, she got a big grant from the Mexican government to study plant radiations. That's how they call it. So uh, one of the biggest radiation, plant radiations or, or plant lineages abundant in Mexico is cacti. So they assigned me, they offered me this uh, opportunity to work with cacti and I accepted. And the project grew and grew and grew because... So, uh, so back then I was working in a molecular biology lab and I was... I was excited about it, but I was feeling really kind of empty because I really missed doing uh, field work. So when I started uh, with the Cacti Project, I was so happy because I could finally go to the, to the field. 
So for the project, we did a lot of field work in Mexico, but this family is distributed in the all the American continent. So I could also uh, I also went to do some field work in Argentina, in Chile, uh, and well, we sampled a lot of a lot of plants, uh, and we we just. Uh, back then, what we used to do was just to take some tissue from the plants. It is very difficult to collect cacti. If you ever have seen one, it's not only the spine, sometimes it's the size. So we decided just to collect some tissue, uh, pieces of tissue, and you dry it in the field, and then you bring them, bring these tissue samples to the lab, you extract the DNA, and you analyze that, and that's what we did uh, for that study. So it revealed a lot of information about the family. So this is a family of about 1,400 species. Uh, as I said, distributed, distributed in the entire American continent, but there's few places where there's a, a more species than others. So those hot spots are in Mexico and also Brazil and Central Andes are where where the diver diversity of cacti are uh, can be found. More importantly, uh, and so uh, yes and. We discovered that the family is quite relatively old, but the species we see today are very recent and things like that. We think that the family originated in Central Andes. Um, yeah, that's interesting. That's I think a lot of our <laughs> listeners, our listeners might be surprised to hear that um, cacti are found outside of the desert. Um, a lot of people are assume that they're only in the <laughs> desert. And, and if you go to Central America, to some tropical dry forests and even rainforests, you can see even huge columnar cacti, tree cacti growing in, in a forest. And that's a little, you know, for people who aren't used to it, it, that's a little surprising. One of the things I thought was really interesting about your analysis, and by the way, your, your paper, you, you keep talking about this like it's happened 20, 30 years ago, but that paper is from 2014. <laughs> Not that long ago. <laughs> yeah, but in science, that's a long time. So. <laughs> so one of the cool things I thought what, that I learned from it was that, um, and I was trying to figure this out from from looking at all the branching. What this is, what this paper is, for those of you you guys aren't seeing it, but it's this huge branching diagram of of pretty much at least a couple of members of all the major cactus groups, um, and so hundreds of species. And this big branching diagram that depicts the evolutionary relationships of the cactus. And that's what we call a phylogenetic tree. And she, she's built this phylogenetic tree through all this hard work, which I'm happy to hear a lot of hard work in the field, which is very interesting. We want to talk more about that. You do a bunch of field work, you get samples, you make this tree, you do all these incredibly detailed computer analyses. And I'm trying to figure out the big tree cacti, like the giant saguaro in Arizona, and the Cardone in Baja, California. Um, there's big tree cacti like that in the Southwest and in, in Central America. And there are big tree cacti like that in South America. And I yes. wanted to know if, 
those if that was a, a totally independent evolution of tree cacti, if they're closely related to each other. And I no. think if you, can, <laughs> if you can help me. Yeah, what I think it is is that so they're not closely related to each other. So it basically happened twice. Cacti evolved into trees twice. Once yes. in South America, at least once in South America, and at least once in North America, right? Yes, that's a, that's true. <laughs> well, that's what we found with uh, with my study uh, uh, for my PhD dissertation. Yes, so uh, we studied the evolution of form in the cactus family. We because so this family. Uh, in contrast with other families like the pea family or like the tomato family or uh, so in many other families like let's say with a similar number of including similar number of species and uh, perhaps of similar age these families are more homogeneous in their diversity in their morphological diversity or in the different forms and and kinds of uh, ways of living that the plants have in the groups. But in this family in Cactaceae, you can find barrels, trees, shrubs, you can have uh, epiphytic cacti, you can have uh, the nopales, opuntias, uh, and so it's incredible the different forms and uh, ways of living that these plants evolved. You so, mentioned, you mentioned, Sorry to butt in. I, I, you mentioned epiphytic cacti. Could you explain to our audience what that is? Because I think this is going to blow their mind. <laughs> epiphytic cacti are those cacti that grow. Well, epiphytic plants are those plants that grow on other plants. Uh, so they don't uh, grow their roots on on the on the soil. They grow them on. On trees, basically, and you can have. Uh, there's no many epiphytic cacti, cacti species, but there's uh, there's few of them in comparison to the entire family. But you can find them even in the rainforests of Brazil. So uh, uh, I was just going to butt in and ask you. So in in if it's not in a rainforest, does that mean that cacti is can grow on another cacti or? It, yeah, or it or it will grow on a tree or any random tree tree and and there is a relationship symbiotic or parasitic so no uh, I would say it is parasitic oh. and yes uh, because they don't yeah well um I'm not sure about <laughs> but they just I would say like uh, so cacti don't need a lot of water right to grow okay so if you find, if you go to a rainforest, it is very humid. And in the soil, the soil is too humid for cacti. So some of cac, some cacti species, they found that if they grew, uh, on top of other, the branches of other mm -hmm. trees, uh, there's, there's kind of a microhabitat there that is drier. Than let's say the soil, so uh, they could grow there more happily than if they were in the humid. <clears throat> this is just bottom of the rainforest. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say this just blew my mind. Like you have a tree, like a cacti, which has evolved to grow in a completely different environment where we think cacti mm -hmm. would grow. Yeah, it's a, it almost sounds like yeah. animal behavior. Yeah, 
<laughs> but this is interesting because uh, the cacti that we think have the characteristics that resemble most the um, ancestral the ancestral cacti mm-hmm. are trees or shrubs that grow uh, in in humid regions in 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 Central America, in Northern South America, in more humid environments. They have uh, fully developed leaves. Uh, they they don't look like cacti. So they we think cacti originate in more humid environments. So the, the desert cactus is more of a derived condition? Uh, yes, yes, it's a derived condition. And dense uh, epiphytic cacti are colonizing humid environments again. <laughs> and you think all this started in the in South America and the Andes, is what you said, right? We, we estimated that, yes, they might have evolved there. There's other lin- plant lineages that... Uh, are considered to be to originated in that region. Uh, it seems an important region for the origin of many plant lineages. I'm not sure about animals. So what what you're doing is is molecular phylogeny. We've talked about that a couple of times on the show, but that's what you're doing, right? You yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Because I know the fossil record for cacti is really terrible. I don't think many many cacti have been found in, in fossils. Yeah, that's sad, but it's not easy to find any desert organism uh, is hard to find a fossil for them. So we have, uh, so what we did was something called the molecular clock. And with the DNA data, we could estimate the date of, of origin of the family. Very cool. And, and what was that date in your study? It was, uh, we think it originated around 30 million years ago. Okay. So yes, not, not, we, not too long ago in, in geologic time long, scales. Not, not too long ago. And it's, very, it's a very interesting date because some other succulent lineages, we have estimated that they originated more or less at the same time. Uh, and back then, uh, so we think by looking at the morphology, that succulents, the ancestors of succulents were not very succulent mm. and they were not very well adapted to live in arid conditions. So the uh, succulents and the adaptations to live in desert environments are relatively recent. Uh, so these plants evolved these adaptations recently and their ancestors were not that well adapted. But when they uh, originated, like around 30 million years ago, what happened was that it was not dry. It was not the environment, the environment, the climates were not as arid that we have the, as arid that we, we have them today. But uh, there was a very characteristic drop off in CO2 in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And these plants are very well adapted to low CO2 conditions. So we think that this was more than aridity, more than aridification, more than hot and dry. It was a low CO2 environment that uh, fostered the origin of these lineages. Very cool. Wow. Yeah, this is uh, really amazing, uh, Dr. Hernandez. And uh, we would like to uh, ask you more questions. 
and get even more information from you right after the break. Is that okay? Okay, perfect. Okay, great. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is Sean Graham. We are Science Nights in the Morning. We have a special guest today. Tanya Hernandez is talking all about her amazing cutting-edge research on the genetics and the evolutionary history of really cool plants, uh, cacti, and other succulents. And I'm so happy to hear, Tanya, that you do field work. I was was curious about this. We talked about this. We weren't sure whether or not... um, you know, a lot of molecular biologists we call them we call them gel jocks because all they do is is electrophoretic <laughs> gels and they just do all their work in the lab and they don't do any field work. And I'm so excited to hear that you do field work and you do field work in one of my favorite countries, if not my very favorite country, to do field work, and that's Mexico. Uh, Thomas Schiller also does uh, uh, paleontology in Mexico. I do herpetology in Mexico. And I love plants, too. So would you talk more about your field work in Mexico? Give us some great stories about just the, getting in the wilds, the jungles, the dry forests in Mexico and doing field work. <laughs> well, um, yes, we – I don't know if you have this feeling, but we don't do as much field work as we would like to. <laughs> we have to be in the lab and we have to – teach and <laughs> we have to do other stuff too but definitely field work is the part I enjoy the most of my work and uh, in Mexico doing field work is uh, is amazing but it's also tricky and you need to and especially lately because it got um, insecure uh, in many areas so you need to be very careful and there's not there's not any manual or particular way to proceed so you just need to do as you as you as you consider is the safest way uh, but particularly in central mexico field work is very interesting because you take the truck you drive a little bit towards any direction and you can see very different environments and very different um very different uh landscapes in in a single day so you can go through a more like a desert environment and you can get to a pine forest and then you can get to a to, to, to many many different you can even get a rainforest so it is really very very interesting and that also uh, that is so when I got to the US I found the landscape a bit boring <laughs> because you drive and drive and drive for hours and you keep looking at the same species and if you go to Mexico, if you go uh, south, uh, the more south you you go, you see different species, many different. They change uh, every time, so it is it is really fantastic. But think about it is that it is as I said, it is a bit insecure, so you do you need to be very careful. You cannot stop anywhere you want. Uh, you need to. Uh, 
to go uh, with local people. So it is. So we have developed our methods. Each botanist develops uh, his own or her own ways of working. Uh, so, for example, for me, I don't uh, go to a single spot to collect. We usually go to many different spots to collect many different species in a single trip. Uh, but we need to take our time to stop at uh, at any little town or uh, at every place we are going to collect. We try to speak to people. Uh, you see that in Mexico there's many little stores where you can buy a Coke or or something to, to eat and then you stop there and you talk a little bit and you ask if it is safe to go there and if, 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 if you could uh, sample this plant and people would usually let you know if you can go or if you need to leave. <laughs> so uh, so that's, that's how we do. And there's other places that we know. There's not a red list. Unfortunately, we have been working in, with botanists in Mexico to develop a red list of places where you shouldn't go at all. Mm. But it is hard because the situation is changing uh, every moment. Mm. But there's some spots that we definitely, unfortunately, we never go unless you have a student that comes from that place, from that town, and he's going to go with you and he knows everybody. Mm. So you, you can go there. But otherwise, uh, yes, there are some places. And this is very unfortunate because there, you are getting very these uh, dark spots uh, in Mexico where we don't know anything about these places for 10, 20 years. Mm. Uh, nobody has gone sampled there. We don't know if the species are still there. We don't know what's the situation. Uh, that's very unfortunate. Hopefully this changes. <laughs> oh, wow. So, uh, Dr. Hernandez, uh, I do have a question for you. Um, when you go out on the field, you, you're entering a different world. You're, you're going into a new world. You're exploring. You're finding samples. But when your eye gets close to that microscope, you're also entering a different world. Can you kind of uh, elaborate a little bit on the uh, lab work that you do and also uh, just the world and what intrigues you about uh, peering in to these different species? So I had a f exactly the same type of question, but as you're going into the lab, uh, so when you're collecting a sample, do you just cut a piece of the cacti or... What do you exactly, what is exactly you're collecting? And then you can just go with Conley's question about intrigue and everything when you go into that background school. Yeah. Yeah. So what we do when we found the plants we are looking for, uh, we uh, try to get as many information as we can about them. So we take a lot of pictures. So for many cacti species, uh, they are endangered. Or threatened, so you it's not advised to get the whole plant or to destroy the plant, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so especially if you know that this locality and this species has already be, been sampled. Mm -hmm. So what you do is you take a lot of notes and you take a lot of pictures, uh, very detailed pictures, and then you take a little 
piece of the stem, let's say, with, with, with a, with a pocket knife. You get a piece of the stem and we, uh, we bring our alcohol to sterilize the plant and then we, we uh, have sulfur powder that you put on the, on the piece you cut so the plant can heal and don't get sick and, and can survive. And then this piece of tissue, you put it in a bag that is filled with something we call silica gel. Mm-hmm. And this thing is made to dry, to dry things. So I, I have bought it in my, at Michael's and they use it to dry like flowers or things like that. So uh, you put your tissue there and the intention with drying is to stop the um, rottening process because you want then to extract the DNA from that sample, but you don't want to extract DNA from bacteria mm. or from fungi. So you want you want the DNA of your plant, right? So you dry it and then you take it to the lab. We uh, In the lab, that's the perhaps the most boring part of the job. <laughs> uh, fortnightly, fortnightly nowadays is the students who do this. <laughs> and then um, they, they process the sample to extract the DNA. Uh, we send this DNA to, seek, to be sequenced in, in another lab, usually a private company. And then we, this company brings us back the DNA sequences, the data, and then we analyze it. And, uh, that's, that's, that's some of the lab work I've done. Lately, I've been interested in the metabolism these plants perform and the physiology they have because they are highly specialized to dry conditions uh, and very particular dry conditions. So uh, we also analyze them in their way they perform the photosynthesis and how they exchange gases, the oxygen and CO2, we we also do that kind of work, but mostly we do the DNA DNA extraction. So here's here's a question for our. Oh, go ahead, Sean. I'll let the biologist. Um, go. I was gonna. Yeah, thank you. Um, it, it sounds like the field work's your favorite part. It is definitely. Yeah. <laughs> now I know some some plants are not particularly easy to find, even though they sit they sit still. Like we always talk about how. Uh, you know, our job is pretty tough because we're looking for, as a herpetologist, we're looking for things that are hard to find and they move. So that's tough. But plants are freaking hard to find and you're finding some rare species. And do you, uh, you don't be modest. You're good at finding plants, aren't you? And sometimes, <laughs> and sometimes it, it is, I have visited places like, Many times, and I have, I can't find the plant I'm looking for, and I am there, and I call my friends. Where is the plant? Where did you see it? <laughs> and I, I can't find it. I don't know. 
Do the yeah, locals ever help you out? Sometimes you have a good day. Sometimes you got bad days. <laughs> the local people help you, but they do. Uh, so there's a limit. So you show them the picture, but uh, it is it is a bit um, tricky. So you show you can go there and show them a picture of the plant you're looking for, and. Uh, Sometimes the local people say, of course, I've seen this plant. Come follow me. And they take you walking like for hours. And it's not the plant you're looking for. So it's better to ask for local botanists. If you are lucky to find a local botanist, that's much better. Uh, But that's those are usually scarce. (laughs) In in Mexico, yes, in Mexico, we have a... We still have, I'm not sure if in the U.S. this exists, but in Mexico, we still have collectors. So there's these uh, two, three, four plant collectors, very famous. Uh, Some of them charge a lot of money, uh, and they can also help you to find difficult difficult plants. Hmm. so that's another alternative when you are desperate to find a plant. Yeah, yeah I was going to say this, this. Your experience sounds a lot like mine in northern Mexico. I've done all my work up in, in the Chihuahuan Desert. And up there, I've relied on locals quite a bit for finding vertebrate fossil bones for dinosaur bones and stuff. And up there, you just you just bring a six-pack of, of tecate and hand it off to a guy. And they drive you like 30 miles and show you this place where they found some dinosaur. Yes, yes. Well, as a woman, it's not easy to take a six-pack to a male mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you find yeah. on the street. Yeah, <laughs> they, they might. Yes, and I. So interestingly, I do uh, feel most of my students are female, mm-hmm. and uh, lately it's getting uh, surprisingly it's getting safer to do botanical collection if you are female, <laughs> uh, because if you are male and if you are with your with your male students, so, you know, there's this bad people, you know, drug dealers sure. that might consider you are suspicious. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of stories about that. So, uh, so we, uh, I take my students to the field and we, uh, yes, we just say we are, professors uh, we are we come from the university we're looking for this plant people is usually very friendly uh, but the problems I faced are those as I mentioned that they might take you to the wrong plant or they point you towards a hill or a mountain and you go there and you don't find a plant <laughs> uh, yes but um, yeah, uh, I don't know. If, uh, yeah, that's the. Uh, we do have beers when we go to field work because the heat. Uh, you know, sometimes just a beer can calm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah heat, beer is worth uh, a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask you, like, uh, are uh, asking um, like uh, local farmers better? Like, do they help you out? Like, local farmers instead of just like random local person. Are local farmers any helpful with that at all? Yeah, so it depends on what I'm looking for. So, for example, uh, this summer we're going to go collect uh, this agave species that is very common. Mm. 
but we want to find it in the wild. So people, it is very easy that people would know where to find it. So we could ask random people on, on the street. Uh, as I said, I go to these local stores because in the little towns, people used to go to these stores to to drink a soda and to talk. So uh, you go there and you start talking and you ask for the plant and they usually tell you how to get there or tell you who to ask uh, for uh, directions. But if I am looking for a more specific plant, a more rare, more difficult to find one, I wouldn't ask random people. Mm. I would definitely try to find a local botanist like from the from a university or school near nearby, uh, there's many for cacti. There's many. How you call this? Enthusiasts. Oh, enthusiasts. Yes. Pro, uh, yeah. Yes. No. Pro, no professionals. Uh, you could also ask them, but this is also tricky because they might get the species wrong. Mm. Uh, yeah. That, well, but as I said, that's the way I I. I work. Some people work differently. <laughs> uh, each so, button is developed a different system. <laughs> so here, here's a quick question kind of on the, on the same lines as, as honor bonds. Um, in the States, uh, especially in Texas, we kind of, in, in my field, we work around this stigma that if we do find something interesting or unique or rare, that uh, the government's going to come in and sweep up the property um, is that that same stigma? Does that exist in your part of Mexico? I, where I was working in northern Mexico, it was all it was all public land, protected land. But um, do you ever encounter people who are worried that if you find something that's really rare or protected or endangered, that that they're going to lose their property, and maybe they don't tell you where they they found the plant or something? Mm, no, I see. No, what happened in, in my in my experience is with cacti. So if you found if you find a rare cacti, you better keep it secret because uh, you know there's many uh, there's a lot of uh, illegal trade of cacti species and cacti collectors worldwide. And some people would pay enormous amounts of money to get a new cacti species. Mm. Or the rare cacti. So local people get to know that. And if that happens, the population is gone. It's mm. uh, like in a few months, it might be gone. Uh, so if in, in my case with cacti and agave, if you find a rare species, you better uh, be quiet, keep it secret, publish it in a very academic journal but even so it's it's a um, it's hard so with cacti cacti the cactus family as a whole is one of the most endangered group of plants so uh, many 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 cacti are endangered because the population are the populations are small they tend to be highly um how to say very endemic so uh so they can only be located in one place. Place, that's it. yeah, yeah. So, uh, so they they are very. And as I said, the illegal trade, mostly from collectors in Europe, has been devastating for for mm -hmm. the family. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll continue talking about cacti uh, after the break. 
Okay, we are back with the Science Science in the Morning. Uh, Dr. Tanya Hernandez is our special guest today. And uh, you would never think. I mean, goodness, uh, you are a doctor uh, studying cactus, but you're also a spy. You're into espionage. (laughs) We, I mean, we, we've gone all over the place with this interview, uh, but Dr. Anurban Bhattacharji has a really good question for you about uh, cactus metabolism. Yeah, and before this, like after yours, and then we can talk about your locations that Sean wants to hear and everything. But I was going to say, so what is different about cactus metabolism that you got? You, you said you now have gotten into? Like, is it different from the normal plant? metabolism and photosynthesis and stuff like that. Yeah, do cactus have to eat yes. like five meals a day? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Okay. They eat They eat very little. So what happens with cacti and other succulent plants is that they perform this particular type of photosynthesis called CAM photosynthesis. And I'm not going to go through details, but this photosynthesis has some modifications at the biochemical level that makes it very efficient in the use of water. So to generate the same amount of biomass, uh, a cam plant like a cacti uses like six to ten times less water than, let's say, rice or corn. So there's a lot of interest in understanding uh, this metabolism and how this works. And basically, uh, the research community around CAM photosynthesis, uh, the idea or the fantasy is to understand how these modifications work. So perhaps we could be able in the future to modify our crops and introduce them this type of metabolism, genetically modify them to be more efficient in the use of water. So I think that's very, very interesting. So, yes. No, I was (laughs) going to say that I can see the, sorry for interrupt, I can see the immediate implications with the, if the global warming continues, there's a lot of places is going to face a lot of drought, uh, drought. And when you see that, if you can somehow incorporate this kind of efficient uh, like water efficient form of metabolism that would help in those plants too in those areas Uh, yeah absolutely and but as i said i refer to it as a fantasy because it is such a complex trait the cam photosynthesis the cam metabolism it involves many modifications that in many different enzymes and at the cellular level and at different levels that it's not like a single gene changed and boom you have cam right no it is a lot of different changes in different parts of the 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 plant Uh, so it's getting a bit complicated but some people think is feasible and uh yeah are working towards there yeah i'm hopeful because nowadays you can see paralyzed people started to walk and you can have uh, you can have like uh, people who cannot hear have like you can have implants to get them hearing and so, yeah, I'm pretty uh, happy yeah. about that. So, Sonia's going to crack the code. Yes, crack the code. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, now on to, to Dr. Graham's question, question here. Let's talk some more about your, your field work and the places that you've, you've been. <laughs> yeah. I, one of the things that I thought would be really cool for our audience, that um, a lot of our audience are desert rats. They love the Chihuahuan Desert. 
they may not have heard about some of these locations in, in the southernmost Tuolumne Desert or even beyond. There's one particular place that's really important to your research, important to the biodiversity of North America in general, and I'm gonna you can make fun of me when I try to pronounce <laughs> it. It's 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 the Tehuacan Quicatlan Valley. How did I get it? The Tehuacan Quicatlan. So easy. What, what does that yeah. translate into? Sorry, didn't hear the question. Uh, what does that uh, translate into? Oh gosh, I don't, I don't know. Tehuacan Wicatlan is a, a name in a in a traditional language. Oh. I, I don't know. It yeah, translates but, into really hard to say. <laughs> oh no, hard to say. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a very super beautiful, interesting place. Really, hmm. as as Sean said, is uh, the south. Some people consider it the southernmost portion of the Chihuahua Desert. So, if you like, uh. North American deserts, I would say that Chihuahua is the most boring, <laughs> except for the uh, Tehuacan Quicatlan Valley. So it, it is really astonishing. It is a uh, so the landscape is similar to when you go to Tucson and Phoenix and you see these saguaro forests. It's kind of similar. However, when you get down the car and you start walking. You see huge, uh, almost a different species at every step you 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 give. So it's a fantastic hotspot of biodiversity. Uh, and it's the location is very unusual because you know I kind of set it up making people think, oh, this is like the southernmost tip of the Chihuahua Desert. It's it's beyond that. It it it's south of Mexico City. So yeah. it kinda, it's an it's like an island of desert habitat surrounded on all sides by more tropical locations. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. And we think that the reason it got a very particular diversity, a very particular assemblage, assemble of different species and types of plants. Um, yes, it's a very particular location. I would strongly recommend to go there. And they have a botanical garden, and they make a big effort to keep that botanical garden going, they have some uh, very beautiful, cozy little cabins you can rent to stay there. And there is a restaurant that is internationally famous, and they cook with local plants, flowers, cacti. Uh, it's a very simple, don't imagine it as a fancy restaurant. It is just somebody's house, uh, open their, 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 their garage and they put some tables there and that's the restaurant. And, uh, you can get, for example, ice cream made from the, the fruits of some cacti. You can have, uh, uh, some other dishes made with the flowers of agave, uh, things like that. So it's, it's, I strongly recommend so, going uh, to that well, place. No, really. As a person like who loves food, right? I, I, I'm already sold on going to that place. You're saying there's a restaurant in a house. I mean, that sounds like every restaurant in Alpine. So yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah we're used to that. Yeah, yeah. And ca cactus yeah. is delicious. A lot of people probably haven't tried cactus. I've, I've only ever had Nepal cactus, but it's, it's really tasty. It's like, I've never had it, so I. But I. It's I hard to no describe, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. it's really good. Some people find it not 
disgusting for the um, uh, this the substance texture, yeah. that yeah the texture and the substance. That, but in in Central Mexico, you know, this is so in Central Mexico we don't eat a lot of salads and a lot of uh, lettuce and that's like too fancy. We are one of our major sources of um, vegetables and and it is it is cacti. So we eat cacti salad with almost everything. You mix uh, nopales, you mix aracuncha with cilantro, tomato, onion, and, and that's what you have, uh, I don't know, three, four times per week. <laughs> it's very nice. common. Mm. Yeah. So is this is this the your favorite place that you've worked, or do you have a specific spot that you really enjoy doing field work? Or at? any other place? Well, the Sonoran Desert is beautiful. It is a very particular desert because it gets rain uh, two times a year, differently from almost all Mexico. In Mexico, mostly all Mexico, we have two seasons, dry season and wet season. but in the Sonoran deserts, you get rain in winter too, a little bit of rain. Mm. So this is a very prolific desert, very green, with lots of animals and, uh, uh, I don't know, very dif- uh, vibrant. So the fact that there's a lot of animals there makes, uh, so the plants evolve different uh, ways of, uh, I would say that to show the flowers so you have a lot of different colors and smells so it's it's a beautiful desert the Sonoran desert so well it, it sounds you're almost describing the northern chihuahuan desert too so it sounds like you might need to come visit us out here in alpine <laughs> i would definitely awesome oh yeah well thank you uh, dr uh, hernandez i really appreciate it you're an inspiration is there anything else you'd like to uh, wrap up with no, thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. I also spent a good time. I hope it was interesting. And <laughs> uh, okay, that's it. <laughs> thank okay. you. Awesome. Cool. Thank uh, you. Uh, uh, Dr. Hernandez, uh, is there a way that people can look up your work? Uh, can they look online? or? Yes, yes. You just type my name online and you're going to find me. It's, it's easy. <laughs> okay. T-A-N-I-A? I, T-A-N-I-A. Hernandez? Um, Hernandez, yes, with an H. Okay, great. <laughs> yes, and uh, perhaps so there's a lot of Hernandez in Mexico. So if you Google cacti, something like that, agave, you would find me. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much. We really do appreciate it. And we'll see you all next week on Science Nights in the Morning. Thanks for listening to this episode of Science Nights in the Morning. Be sure and follow us on Patreon for exclusive gear and uncut episodes. Check out the latest science articles on our Facebook page and subscribe to us on YouTube and your favorite podcast listening app. You can also listen every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time at BigBenRadio.com. And if you got a question, we'll join the discussion. Hit the hotline at 432-217-1983 and record your message. We couldn't do this without you, and thank you so much for listening each and every week. That's Science Nights in the Morning with a K, and we'll see you next time.